We are continuing our sermon series in the book of Colossians, so turn with me there now if you could. I pray you brought your Bibles um, and your notebooks to take notes. Um, following Jesus is a, is a joy-filled experience. The Bible says that uh, in, in, in Galatians chapter 5 that one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. As Christians, we experience happiness as an emotion, but joy is a spirit-led, fueled thing. And so Christians, I'm confused by Christians who aren't at least filled with joy. I understand there are times where we are not happy. Things happen, circumstances uh, occur, and we're just not happy. But at the end of the day, we are still filled with the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So there should be some joy. Now, if you read uh, James chapter 1, and we just did this as a Bible study on Wednesday, we also, as Christians, we can be happy. I meet some Christians, and it seems like happiness is illegal or immoral. Happiness is a good thing. And, and James says that blessed or happy is the, is the one who remains steadfast when they go under trial. And I'm paraphrasing. That's in uh, James chapter 1. I believe it's verse 12. But the point is this, is that we can be happy as Christians. It's not that we're supposed to be the happiest people on earth. We should be joy-filled, and as we're pursuing Christ, there should be a joy that comes from that. So, now, don't misunderstand this and think, okay, I can never be unhappy, and when things go wrong, I can't be sad. No, the, uh, the Bible talks about those who mourn and mourning with other people. That is perfectly okay to respond in sadness when something bad happens. That is okay, but understand you have a God who has sent his Holy Spirit, and he is called the Comforter. He is there to comfort you as well. If there were no sadness in the world, there'd be no reason to be comforted. Amen? So we praise God today that life is good, but we also praise him that when it's not, he comforts us. Amen? So Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to start today. We are in the month of June, so we're five months down, seven months to go. We are two chapters down, three or four more to go in the book of Colossians. We are trucking along, and we are starting in verse 1. Continuing the last thought from last week, which was being dead to the world, we are, we are uh, dead to the ways of the world, and now we are alive to Christ. And Paul says this in verse 1, If, or since, some of your translations might say, Then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Jesus, your word is trustworthy. It is good. It is infallible. It is perfect. Father, you have taken men like Paul and Peter, uh, James and John, men who were not perfect by any stretch of the word, Lord, but you have use them to teach your perfect word or to, to share your perfect insight. And Lord, today we want your word to be more than just good information or nice things to live by, Lord. We want to be transformed by you today. We want to be different than we were. We want to be different than the world. We just want to be different as your word has called us to be different or, or that we will be different because of our calling, I guess I should say. Lord, we praise you. May you receive all of the glory today in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul has written this letter because the Colossians are seeking fullness 
outside of Jesus. They're looking for fulfillment. The same thing we're going through 2,000 years later, the same thing that the Israelites went through for thousands of years. They are seeking to be fulfilled and be made whole by other things. Our world is, has no shortage of things that can become a substitute for God. And our, our mind immediately gravitates towards the bad things like, like uh, sex or drugs or greed or alcohol. We, we go towards that. But those being the bad things, there are very good things that we end up turning into God things and making them into idols. You, you, maybe it's, it's, a, it's a home or, a, or maybe it's a, a certain job. Maybe it's a certain amount of kids that you're supposed to have. Maybe it's the plan you've made for life and it's not turning out that way. And, and you're, you are just like a, a child just throwing a tantrum because you didn't get what you wanted. It's not wrong to plan. It's not wrong to have a good job. It's not wrong to gain wealth. It's not wrong uh, to have a sexual relationship with somebody who is your spouse, whom you are committed to and in covenant relationship with. These things are not bad things, but when they're taken and made into God things, that's when they become bad. So some folks are really good at worshiping Jesus as long as everything's okay. As long as nothing goes bad, then I'll keep worshiping Jesus. But the minute something goes wrong, well, where is God and what's going on? And those are not bad questions. You read the Psalms and they, those men kind of said the same thing. But as disciples of Christ, we understand that for every peak, there's a valley. For every mountaintop, there's a, des a descending into the valley before you reach that next mountaintop. And there are times where it's very easy to be exuberant. It's very easy to be on fire for Christ, but then there are times where you're, you're supposed to be on fire for Christ and like it is outside, it's raining and you're wet and you just you can't hardly catch on fire and it's really hard and arduous. And, and I'm here to, to, to bring you this message today that's not about how hard you can try to make yourself on fire. It's about what you are seeking and what you set your mind on. Those two things in the life of a repentant Christian change your life dramatically. You can go online now, you can go to Walmart or, or any other bookstore, Barnes and Noble or whatnot, and you will find thousands and thousands of books that will guarantee or promise you a better life if you just adhere to these rules, if you just follow these steps, if you just do this or do that or, or, or know this secret or whatever, you, you'll find the key to life. And the Bible just simply says, here is Jesus. And if you want a different life, if you want a life that Jesus d describes as an abundant life, then you have to question, what are we seeking and what are our minds set on? Paul says it like this, if since then you, or excuse me, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Are you seeking the things that are above? We have to be careful with that phrase, not because it, it's, it's wrong. It's opposite of that. It's totally right. But here's the problem we make with scripture sometimes. We take one out of context and we use it in the wrong way. We, we use it to, to build fear. Oh, and we use it to become pious or to, to look religious, to look spiritual. There are folks that, that look the part and sound the part and play the part, but they are 
just as much children of hell or children of Satan as, as, as any unrepentant sinner. One of the greatest examples we have of that is in the Gospels with a group called the Pharisees. They, they prayed the right prayers. They gave the right amount. They were in the temple the right amount of time. They wore the right clothes. They were friends with the right people. And Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. They were like really good looking caskets, but on the inside, dead, dry, crumbling, lifeless bones. And so set your mind on things that are above might sound like now we have to sit on a cloud and float around and play a harp and, and always be listening to Caleb and, and, and never doing anything fun ever again. Never, never watching television, never hanging out with friends because you might get polluted by the world. If, if God had not wanted us to be polluted by the world, meaning if he was in fear that uh, we would be polluted by the world, he'd have taken us out of this world. But instead, he changes us, fills us with his Holy Spirit to go into the world to share the gospel with other people who used to be like us, who are unrepentant, who are not acknowledging Christ as God. One of the, the, one of the things, and I guess the major thing about Christianity is not that we believe certain things are right and wrong. I mean, we do, but many other faiths and many atheists believe the same thing we do, that murdering is wrong and stealing is wrong, that sort of thing. We as Christians believe that Jesus is God. That's what makes us Christians. We believe that Jesus was not just a man who came to earth and told people, hey, God's a good God. He was God's come to earth to live a sinless life, to die a sinless death, to conquer sin, Satan, and death so that we might have the hope of resurrection because he has conquered sin and death. That we might, through faith in him, as Paul says, be raised up with Christ as well. Paul says, seek the things that are above. There are a lot of good things in this earth. Like breakfast in bed. That's a good thing, right? I mean, somebody makes you breakfast and brings it to your bed, you, you're going to have a good day. Everything else can go downhill from there, but man, that's going to be a good day. You know, you, 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 go to the, you, go to the, you go to Walmart or Target or something, and the closest parking spot is open, and you grab it, and you're like, man, I only have to walk like three feet to get into the store. This is a blessed day. There's a lot of great things. These are just simple things. You know, you get a bill in the mail, but it's not a bill. It's like, oh, you paid twice last month and now you don't owe anything. You're like, yeah. I've done that a couple of times with my internet service. Like I'll go get the bill. Like, Here's the bill again. Open it up. You have a $70 credit. Why? Because you paid twice last month on accident. Oh, oh, all right. This is cool. I don't have to pay this month. Just simple little things that just make you happy. There are lots of great things in this world to make you happy. But these things in and of themselves are not what we are to be seeking. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says to seek the kingdom of God first. Not only, not exclusively. I mean, if your child needs to go to the doctor, you, you can seek the doctor. And if you've got to get a job, you can seek a job. But seek the kingdom of God first. Why? Because all of these other things will be added to you. Things like food and clothing and what to drink and the things that you need because your Father in heaven will provide them for you. So, so if you take the worry of those things and the energy it takes to uh, 
be that worried because worrying takes energy. It's very taxing. And now you use that to focus on the kingdom of God. You are seeking the things that are above rather than the things that are here. I was troubled by this scripture because it says seek uh, things that are above. That's such a general thing, right? Like, okay, seek things. I mean, I wanted something practical to bring to you. I want to I tell you, do this, and that means you're seeking that which is above. I don't want to just leave it up to interpretation. I didn't want you just to think, well, you know, I think that this is seeking uh, things that are above when it's indeed contrary to the word of God. A lot of folks today think they're doing the will of God. It's contrary to the word, and they think they're doing the will of God, and they are not. Jesus is, actually, that's a little bit further ahead. That will be under the, the title of set. Let's look at seeking first. Before you seek anything, though, you must understand this. As Paul has said, you are now raised with Christ. If today you are a Christian, Today you have put your faith in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He died for my sins. He conquered death and now rules and reigns at the right hand of his Father. I I now believe that he was born of a virgin birth, the Old Testament prophecies about him. He will be returning again to, to take his church, to take his body back to be with him. You believe these things by faith because we don't see them yet, but by faith we believe them. Then you're a Christian then you are now a Christ follower. And now, now your life is bent on becoming a, a disciple of Jesus. You're not just somebody who acknowledges him. You're somebody who follows him. You follow what he has taught through his word. You follow his example and what he's done. But understand this. Now, the, even the idea of seeking and setting your mind on something, without Jesus in your life, without that conscious acknowledgement of who he is, without being born again, the Bible says, this will be an empty endeavor. Okay, I set my mind on things above. If you are not a Christian, the first thing to set your mind on is becoming a Christian. Not a Christian according to how the world describes it. If you were to look at TV or the internet, you would think Christians were a really bad lot of people. We're not. We just get a bad reputation by a select few. Some folks judge us by the actions of some very bad people who have done some very bad things in the name of Christ. And we have to understand that's not what Christianity is. And we're going to have to sort of take those lumps as we go along because it's part of the life we've chosen. There will always be those who get to the forefront, have the loudest voice, and then will fall somehow, and the rest of the world will judge us according to them. I'm not here to throw people under the bus who are already fallen. I'm just here to relay that sort of truth that that there will always be those who are louder and more boisterous and eventually will fall because they're human, because they do stupid things like uh, do drugs with prostitutes and things like that. And I don't mean to be so crass in church, but that's what they do. And then the rest of the world will see they're like everybody else. Well, maybe that person is, but not the rest of us. So it's that much more important for us to realize, hey, we've been changed by God. We have been born again. We now have this. This is who we are. Our identity now is not just simply a a, a cleaned up person, but someone who's been radically changed and transformed by the changing power of the Holy Spirit implanted in you. If you are following Christ and your life looks no different than it did before you made that choice, you got to go back to there and say, Lord, what, what am I doing wrong? Why does my life not look any different? 
And it might be because there's sin in your life that, that you're still in. It might be because you've acknowledged that Jesus was, but you don't acknowledge that he is and will be. It's very important. But here's, here's the point. The Bible teaches us that once you make that choice, once, once the Lord has opened your eyes to the truth, that miraculous work of, of, of regeneration begins. That these things that, that we would generally focus on, they have been done. Sin has been atoned for. You have been cleansed and made holy of your sin. Church, we don't see ourselves and our sin as God does. I believe that if we did, church would be a lot different. I believe that we have, as a church in general, not just South Bay Chapel, but as a church in general, we have, we have taken sin and pushed it away and repentance and being regenerated and being uh, redeemed and all of these words, justified, all of these things that were so pertinent, not just a generation ago, but in the word of God, things that we are supposed to be, you now been pushed aside in the, in the name of things like love and mercy and grace. And love and mercy and grace are, are, absolutely as essential but our balance is off it's not about one being greater than the other i'm not here to try to say get justice back up on top and put love and mercy down here. no all of it together same level being loved by god is just as important as being forgiven by god and being forgiven by god is just as important as being justified by god and and, and so Church, when I preach about sin and our sin nature, it's not just beat you over the head with a stick. You know, you're a sinner, bam, bam, bam. It's to remind us to be repented, uh, repentive continuously. Lord, forgive me. When I prepare for a message, I ask the Lord to forgive me for stuff that I don't even know that I did. Because if you're like me, you go through the day and you sin, you don't even know it. Because you get callous to things or you think something's all right. And it's like, Lord... Forgive me of that and show me what it is so I don't do it again. I don't want to do that thing if it's not honoring of you. If it's foolishness, if it's, if it's, if it's not to be done, if it's forbidden, I, I don't want to do it. I, want you to, I ask that you would help me to acknowledge or to see that so that I can live a life that's repentive or repentant. Now, in the book of Ezekiel, it's an Old Testament book, prophet named Ezekiel. Lots of prophets in the Old Testament, books named after them, men like Daniel and Jeremiah and, and Isaiah and uh, Malachi and other, a lot of other ones you can't pronounce real well. This one, Ezekiel, he was a prophet who was to go to Israel, along with a lot of other prophets, men like Isaiah and Jeremiah, who were somewhat contemporaries of Ezekiel. They, he was given this command to go and to tell them to repent that they were God's people. They were God's chosen people. And they had welcomed in things like idolatry. And so in the Bible, the Jews were commanded to build a temple and they built a temple and, or a tabernacle and then later built a temple. And they worshiped the one true God. But then as they allowed folks to infiltrate their, their place, instead of saying, this is who we worship in this land and in this culture and in this society, they would say, yeah, sure, bring everything in. In the name of equality and tolerance, please bring in all of the gods to the temple. And God only allowed that to happen for so long. And so now Ezekiel is being called by God to go out and to, to tell them what they've done wrong. And so one of the ways that God describes 
how he's going to turn this around is in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. It says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice the order. The order of the Old Testament's the order of the New Testament. I will put a new heart in you and then you will follow me. It's not follow me and then I'll give you a new heart. It's not adhere to the rules and then maybe you'll be approved. It is I will change you. I will give you a new heart. I will replace that stone hard heart that you've gotten that has turned that way because of sin. I will give you a heart of flesh and then you will follow me. Then you will follow my statutes. Then you will desire to do so. Psalm 37 and 4, one of my favorite psalms, says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. And a lot of people misconstrue this verse as, God will just give you anything you want because you desire it. That's as foolish as a father saying, Yeah, I give my kids whatever they want. You ever met a kid like that? We call them spoiled. We see them, they throw tantrums. Giving them more of what they want doesn't make things better, does it? Many of us now, we have the characters we do because our parents didn't give in to every whim that we had. We said, we want this, and we, they, as parents, said, you know what? That would not be profitable for you. Can't afford that. Um, it's not, you're too young, you're too old. Whatever reason, that's not right for you now, and we're better for it. They didn't just fulfill every desire and fancy and whim that we had as kids. And God the Father, who is the perfect Father, who is the good Father, is, is like that times, I don't know, I can't think of a big enough number. What happens in this verse, it's not about you have a desire and God gives it to you. I, I want a Humvee. You guys ever see a Humvee? They don't make them anymore. Not, not for personal use. Like $50,000 when they first came out. Big, giant. You get like seven miles to the gallon. They kind of died off because when gas was almost $5 a gallon, people were like, yeah, I can't afford this. Not only is it an expensive car, um, but I can't afford to fuel it. And so they kind of died. But aren't they cool? Have you ever seen one? Like, just see, go down the street, like, oh, man. I could do anything with I could drive over my house if I wanted to with that thing, and it wouldn't even skip a beat. Cool, right? Well, it's the desire of my heart. God's got to give it to me now. And the answer is no. I really want to marry this person. Well, that person doesn't want to marry you. Yeah, but I really want it. It's the desire of my heart. I really want this job. I want this amount of money. I want this. I want that. I want this. I want that. There are people who teach that that is the life of a Christian. And I would tell you, that's the life of a spoiled child. The promise of Psalm 37.4 is not that you get everything that your heart desires. It's that the desires of your heart are now changed to now where you want what God wants. He will give you the desires of your heart. The desires of your heart will be changed by God. Jesus, there were so many things that he could have done. His desire was the will of the Father continuously. Who was, who was he talking to? Was it, was it the Pharisees? When he said he could have, you know, a thousand angels come minister to him. You know, he, could have, he could have done a lot of things at a lot of different times, but it was about doing the will of God as opposed to even his own will. Even, even being God, he left that aside 
to the Father so that he would come and do the Father's will. You are born again if you have placed your faith in Jesus. And as a result, now your heart is going to be changed. You're now going to want what Jesus wants. You're now going to want what the Word says. You're going to develop an appetite for the Word. And it might be a little anemic at first or a little anorexic. Maybe that's the better word. Um, but as you feast at the Lord's table, to use some terminology from the Bible, you become more accustomed to it. You start consuming it and it becomes part of your regular diet. And now it's not enough to, to just do it you know, every other day. You've got you've to consume more. Your desire is there. The desires of your heart have been changed. So Paul says, set your mind on things that are above. Seek the things that are above and set your mind. Set your mind, or excuse me, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Here was the phrase that really troubled me. Like, how do I, how do, I do that? How do, how do I practically teach this? And I came across a scripture, I think, that perfectly exemplifies what it means to set your mind on things that are above. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is about to be crucified. He's not that far off, okay? And Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's explaining to them uh, what's about to happen. Not just, not because, just because he chose to, because it was all set forth by the Old Testament. Jesus was about to be given to the hands of sinners. He was going to be beaten and flogged. He was going to be crucified. He was going to die and be buried. And then three days later, he was going to be resurrected, take his life back up, conquer sin and death. He's explaining this to the disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but having this type of a, I guess you can call it a Bible study or, or, or a community group, Man, we would just love to be in the presence of Jesus like that and hear these words from him, right? In verse 21, chapter 16, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. That's always fun. This is when, when we think about Peter uh, before he, he was foolish enough to do things like rebuke Jesus. I, I don't like to make it a habit of rebuking, you know, the Son of God. But Peter did. Whatever. He said to Jesus, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, Peter loved Jesus, right? We, we, get, we know that. And we know that Peter's about to betray Jesus. And that had to take its toll on Peter. And, and we know that, that in Acts chapter 2, he's filled with the Spirit. He preaches and he does a lot of great things for God. Okay? But in this moment, in rebuking Jesus, he's now going contrary to the, will of, to the will of God. In rebuking Jesus, saying this will never happen. His intentions might be good. I mean, who wants to see your friend crucified? Who wants to see your friend beaten? And who wants to, you know, your friend knows that they're going to die and you don't want that to happen. But you get the impression that the tone is, Jesus, come on, that's not going to happen to you. How does Jesus respond? But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That escalated quickly. Like, Jesus, I don't want you to die. Get behind me, Satan. Uh, man, he's having a rough day. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So here's our insight through the scripture. 
God the Father sends God the Son to do a specific thing. He has a will for humanity. I mean, it's not just for this time, it's not just for this moment, but it's for all of creation. The culmination of the promises of the Old Testament are now going to happen, and Peter has come against that. God has a will, and Peter has said no. So Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because what Peter has done now, he's not setting his mind on what God wants, he's setting his mind on what he wants. And on one level, it might be a good thing. I don't want my friend to die. But maybe Peter is really being selfish as well. I don't want to suffer loss. Sometimes our family, they, they, they grow ill. And it's obvious that it's time for them to, to, go on, to go to be with the Lord. And sometimes we get a little selfish, don't we? We just want them to hang on. Not because, I mean, we want them to be alive, but man, we don't want to bear that loss. As long as they're here, I don't have to lose anything. And they pass. And, oh. and there are times often when I pray for folks and, and you know it's that time. And so I begin to pray for the will of God. Lord, we'd want people to stay here forever. We really would. But that's not your will. That at some point this body, this body of corruption has to be shed so that we might take up the new body that God has for us. And causing a family member or a friend or somebody to go through pain just so I don't lose telling the Son of God who came to die for, the human, for all of humanity's sins, telling him not, that that's not going to happen because you, I'm going to suffer, well, that's coming against the will of God, and that's not being godly-minded, that's being earthly-minded. So to set your mind on the things that are above is to say, God, what is your will? Let me do that. We're not really good at that. We're really good at God, change your will. God, change what you're about to do. I don't like this. It hurts. Make it stop. When instead, we should come to God and say, God, what is, what is your will for this moment? As painful as it might be, as much as I may not want to do it, I know that it is perfect. I will do it if you have ordained it. I will do it if this is your will. This is setting your mind on things that are above. This is living a life that is concerned more with what God wants than my feelings and my emotions and my experiences and all of these things. Colossians 3 and 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden within Christ, or with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There are a lot of folks that would like to tell you that Jesus was a good teacher, that, you know, great morals, good standard to live by, but he was by no means God. He was just a guy, a really good guy, but a guy nonetheless. The scriptures like this confront us, cause us to have to question, well, who is God in our life? Who is Jesus? Is he just a nice guy walking around, playing with kids, wearing a robe, Bon Jovi hair, just looking like he's never going to hurt anybody? Or is Jesus God? Is Jesus the creator? Is Jesus the one who holds life in his hands for all of us? He's the one that causes our hearts to pump blood and our lungs to breathe air. 
Is he the one that, that calls us to be born and then calls us home through death? Is he the one that sustains us every day? And we could, uh, like on an exam right now, I'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all that's true. But then we go out and we testify to something different by our actions. So here's what Paul's calling us to do, or I should say the Holy Spirit through Paul. If, or since, and I, and I think that makes more sense uh, translationally, since you have been changed, since you have been raised with Christ. There's no longer a question. It's, it's that part's happened. Now here's what comes next. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. Why? Because you died to all that. Before Jesus, that was you. That's all you knew. But now you've died to all that. And now you've been raised up with Christ. And that's, that's the, the meat of today's message. You have been raised with Christ and that's how God sees you. See, if you're like me, maybe, maybe when you were a kid or maybe even as an adult with, with people that you looked up to, it's really hard when you disappoint them, right? When you let them down. God, I knew I shouldn't have done that or man, that really hurt. I, I, I made a foolish decision. And not only did I do something wrong, but I let this person down. And we don't normally get a lot of those types of people in our life. It's usually just a select few. Maybe mom or dad, maybe a, a mentor or, a, or somebody who's like our spiritual brother or sister. You know, you just, you do something and it's like, oh, I let them down. And it's really hard to come back from that, right? It's like all of your pride has to go away. You have to acknowledge everything you did wrong. And there's no explanation. There's no, let me explain to you why I did what I did. Just know I... I did this and it was wrong and I'm very sorry. It's, it's one of the worst feelings to have, right? And some people get the, the idea that that's how you're supposed to live as a Christian. It makes them really grumpy and sad. That's not repentance entirely. It's the beginning of it. It's feeling guilty is what it is. And repentance isn't just guilt. Repentance is, repentance is turning away. And when we sin, it kind of feels the same way. Right? Gosh, I'm sorry, Lord. But here's how Jesus sees us. Here's how the Lord sees us as raised with him. It's not like we live this life where we're alive, we're dead. We're alive, we're dead. We're alive, we're dead. We're alive, we're good, we sinned, we died. In spite of our sin, our folly, and our dumb choices, and the things that we choose to do that we know we shouldn't do, as Paul says in Romans 7, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things I shouldn't do, I end up doing, and the horrible wretch of a man that I am, God still sees us as raised for me, that changes everything. A, it makes, me, it makes me that much more cognizant of my sin. God's holiness reveals to me my unholiness, but it increases my desire to be holy as he is holy. And I'll, I'll be brutally honest, that endeavor won't happen here. Like I won't get to my 50s and all of a sudden be holy. Like those of you who are above that age, they just give you a halo at that point, right? Like, okay, you're done. Live the rest of your life in retirement as a Christian. And you're like, yeah, you know, I'm sinless now. Woo. Doesn't happen. You'll be fighting sin to the day you die. And you'll be looking to be holy till the day you die. But, but as much as that is an impossible endeavor until that moment, it's still my pursuit. It's still what I'm seeking. It's still what my mind is set on. And I love that even when I fail, and I don't seek to fail. I seek to be successful, just like you do. 
I want to accomplish what God has called me to do. I want to preach the gospel. I want to live a life that, that honors my wife and my children and that, that all the things in, in First and Second Timothy about what an elder should be and, you know, not given to drunkenness and wife of, or husband of one wife and leading his household and all that stuff, not greedy and things like that. I want to do those things, but when I fail, I rejoice, not because God just sweeps things under the rug, but through repentance, I'm still that child of God. I'm not, I'm not thrown out. I'm not discarded. I'm not like that sheep that loses its fold and just has no hope. I have a God that when I get caught in the thicket, comes after me and pulls me out. I love that. Not because, not because it's a get out of jail free card. It's, it's anything but. But because I know that even when I'm so foolish to get engaged in something that I knew was wrong from the beginning, that God still rescues me because he loves me so much. And like the woman caught in adultery, he tells me, go into sin no more. He does not approve of my sin. He does not wink at it and say, oh, Tony, you're so cute. You're big cheesy. Go and sin no more. And you know what? That doesn't cause me to feel guilty. It increases my hope and my faith and my desires. The desires of my heart continue to change to want what God wants. So instead of the next opportunity where, do I sin or not sin? Well, God is changing my heart. I can acknowledge that as sin, number one. And number two, I'm pretty sure God doesn't want me to do it. And so I have the power within me through the Holy Spirit to make the right choice. Your identity in Christ was solidified by what Christ did. And now it is your opportunity to seek and to set your mind on the things that are, ab are above. And you won't do that alone. This is one of the reasons why we need the church. And as we wrap this up right now, because we could talk about this all day. Side note, I don't know if you know this. God gives preachers the ability to preach, and sometimes we don't know when to stop. Okay. Um... <laughs> What was I talking about? Oh, the church. Church is good, right? Like, I love the church. I love South Bay. I love coming here when it's empty. I, I like just hanging out here and doing my work and studying and things like that. But I really like it more when there's people here. Um, God brings us together, not just like as a social club on a Sunday. Like, there's lots of other things we could be doing. He brings us together because we need each other. He brings us together to hold us accountable. He brings us together to love one another, to, to mourn with those who are mourning, to lift up those who are, who are in a tough spot, to be helped by others when we need help. And the Bible says that Jesus died for his church. He loves his church very much. It's one of the reasons why I love you guys so much is not necessarily because you're all the most lovable people. I mean, you are for the most part. Don't get me wrong. But we all have our days, right? But the love for you comes from the fact that Jesus loves his church so much. And I want to love what he loves. I desire what he desires. And so I would hope that you would have that same mentality about church, that you love church, not because we're the biggest or have the best programs or the best uh, pastors or the best kids program. I mean, we have a lot of great things, don't get me wrong, but, but I hope that you love the church, and not just this church, but the church in general, because Jesus loves his church. Jesus died for his church and, and sacrificed himself for it. That we are now his body as he is the head of 
the church. That we are all connected. And, and, and all of this seeking the things that are above, it will not be accomplished all by ourselves. We're going to need the mentorship and the, the accountability that comes from being connected with other people. That's why some people don't like church. Oh, they just want your money. Oh, they don't teach right. Oh, they don't have the right this. What it really is is, I don't want to be accountable. I like doing things my own way. We all like doing things our own way, right? You ever have somebody tell you how to do something you don't know how to do? Who's this guy telling me what to do? I don't like it. I mean, unless you've conquered pride, but then you're probably a liar. We don't like people telling us what to do, so sometimes we, we remove ourselves from people. Well, you don't come to church to have people tell you what to do. You come to church to be a part of the body of Christ, to serve and to love other people. How are we going to change the world if we don't get involved with people? Doesn't make any sense. So today, ask yourself a couple questions. What are you seeking? What is your mind set on? Our minds are powerful things. And God has called us to use those to worship him. You know, as much as church might be an emotional experience, it's not only an emotional experience. It's an intellectual experience as well. You ever lose something and you set your mind on it to find it and you begin to seek after that thing? I'm like, I get real crazy when I lose something. Like when I lose the remote, you guys ever lose the remote? Ever happened to you? You guys don't have TVs, you're Amish. You lose the remote like in the couch or something? That is like, like right now, currently, my remote is in the couch somewhere. I know it is. What's going to happen is at one point, because it's a sectional, I got to tear that all apart. And then I'm going to tear that all apart and realize, oh, look at all the kids' toys that are under here. I got I to clean under this. My mind was set on doing this one thing, and I did it, but everything else kind of suffers, right? While I'm finding this remote, nothing else exists in my mind. And it happens when I lose anything. You know, you lose, you lose your wallet, you lose your phone, you lose this, you lose that. It's like, what is your mind set on? You pursue that, right? This is the kind of terminology that Paul is using about the things that are above. Set your mind on those things. Seek after those things. The promise from Jesus is that all this other stuff that we tend to worry about will be added to us. So first, seek him. If you want to seek him, start here. It'd be great to hear the audible voice of God, wouldn't it? To hear God say, do this, or whatever. Whatever he sounds like. I'm sure he doesn't sound like that. Um, that'd be great. But how do you know? <laughs> how does anybody know that that's not what he sounds like? He could sound like that. Point is this. The word of God is here. What he desires has been revealed to glorify his son, Jesus. Our job is to not make Jesus more palatable. It's just to tell people about him. Hey, Jesus loves you, forgives you, wants to know you. He wants you to repent of the dumb sin you're doing. He wants you to live for him. He desires you. He seeks you. All found here. Now, God may speak to you when he spoke to Isaiah in the cleft of the mountain, I believe it's pronounced. 
still small voice, right? He wasn't in the tornado or the hurricane or the whatever else happened. It was a still small voice. Often God's voice is outside of the word, will not be like something that floors you. You'll just hear the voice and it will be confirmed by the word of God. So like if, the, if you hear a still small voice say, hey, divorce your wife and marry another woman. Not what the Bible says. Hey, just take a little bit of money. Nobody will notice. That's not God's voice. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, it's somewhat true, but how do you know what it's like to be a Christian unless you go to church? The word of God's not that important. Really? <laughs> Thousands of people have died to protect it, but whatever. And so if it contradicts the word of God, hey, God wants everybody to be rich. I don't know. Jesus didn't have a lot of money. So he, he didn't have a place to lay his head, but no, okay. You know. Were there people of wealth in the Bible? Yeah. Were there poor people in the Bible? Yeah. Money's just a tool. It's not the end all of all things. God wants everybody to be healthy. No, people die because of sin. Sin into the world and changed everything. And now because of that, people get sick. And God heals. And God takes people home as well. The point is this. If you hear the voice of God, he's repetitive. He keeps saying the same things over and over again. When we talked about the prophets of the Old Testament, prophets kept saying the same thing. Repent, repent, get rid of the idols, get rid of the stuff, turn back to God. Always said the same thing. So if you want to set your mind on the things that are above, you must consume this to know what the things that are above are. What a privilege we have, right? I've got my Bible here, got my iPad here. You've got it on your phone and on your computer. And we have the word whenever we want. So now it's time to pick it up and read it, right? Let's stand and pray. It's not just a promise to set your mind on things that are above. It's not simply a command that you better do this. It's all of these things. You're different now. You're not the same person. You're not like you were. You are now brand new. I want to pray for you. I want you to know that newness. I want you to realize that you don't have to react like the rest of the world. You don't have to be like the world is. Your salvation was secured by Jesus and now you are a brand new creation. You are being transformed according to Romans 12. You're being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can be a good soldier for Christ. So you can be a light in a dark place and the salts of the earth. Father, we praise you. And all of us, myself included, Lord, probably more than anybody else, are guilty of letting that light be dimmed by sin. We're guilty. We are guilty. That's simply to put it, Lord, we are guilty of something. And Lord, you as, as, as creator of all things, the God who died for us, you are you're such a good, gracious, and patient God. But there was that moment where we placed our faith in you and your word says that we were born again. That even though we were born once, we were now went through a new birth. And now these new desires are beginning to crop up in our hearts. We now desire to be a part of God's people. We now desire to serve and to love and to give. 
We desire that the truth go out and actually be truth and not tainted by the world's perspectives. We desire that Jesus be honored. God, you're a big God. You don't need us to be your defender. And the world is not such a big bully that you can't handle them, Lord. But you've called us and given us the honor and the privilege to proclaim the good news of Jesus, that though we are still sinners, Christ died for us. That before we ever chose you, you loved us. That your desire is to keep us for always. And that now we have the ability to set our minds on the things that are above. Help us to seek you, Lord. Help us to fixate our focus on you. As we meet with friends, Lord, may not just be, oh, I have my friends. It's, it's how do I serve and love these folks? Or the stranger, or the coworker, or the family. Whatever it is, Lord, what can we do? We want to see them through you. And Lord, we want to do your will. There are lots of things that in our flesh we might say we do it differently. But we know at the end of the day it is your will that is perfect. That the way you have decided, decided to save humanity through the giving of your son wouldn't have been the way we would have chosen it. But you did that which was perfect at the perfect time to save the world. Father, help us to set our minds on you and your ways and your will. Help us to know that and to distinguish the voice of God your voice in our lives. May we read the word and become familiar with you. We love you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.